today, and uh, how was yours? All right, everybody looks cheerful, and looks like things went well. We, uh, we had the pastor's uh, meeting this morning, and I enjoyed getting to meet some of the preachers from around the area, and then we had a good lunch, and uh, then where we going? Then we then we went and made a visit. Got to meet Miss Joan, and uh, I said that right, didn't I? Okay, got to meet Miss Joan, and uh, that was certainly a blessing. And then we went over to Brother Corey Land. Man, what a neat world that place is! And uh, if we ever have another world war, he's got he's got the armory. Amen. <laughs> We're covered uh, with helmets and with guns and everything else we need. But I really enjoyed that. That was a blessing, brother. Thanks for taking a little time there. And I've enjoyed myself getting a chance to meet every one of you. And uh, it seems like it just went by really quick. But you know what's wonderful is, is uh, you know, when you get saved, you become part of a big family. And uh, whether you're down in Arizona with a bunch of Navajo folks or you come up here to South Dakota, uh, we're all part of one big old family. We've got the same God and we have a love for the same things. And so... I just appreciate that so much. Thank you for the nice room. And uh, the, I had a coffee mug with candy and a Donald Trump golf ball staring at me right there in the cup. And <laughs> so I leaned over and I said, whoa, you know, there he is. And so that was, uh, that was fun. But it's all been so nice and the food's been delicious and, 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 uh, and the fellowship's been good. And I've just been amazed how many I've talked with many of you and you get talking long enough and we know a lot of the same folks because we're part of the same family. So thanks for putting your heart into the conference and, and uh, those of you that uh, been coming off some of these roads that weren't even plowed off yet, and you've, just, you've made a tremendous effort to be able to be here to receive the word of God. And so I, I'm, I'm thankful for you. I love you. I enjoy your pastor. Man, we've had some good conversations and some great fellowship. And I'm glad God's put him here. Amen. Glad God's given him to you. The, uh, listen, a good pastor is a gift. And uh, there's, uh, there's less good pastors than there are bad pastors. Amen. Unfortunately, that's the day and age we're living in. You've got a good one. And praise God for the stand that he takes. And so you ought to follow him as he follows the Lord. Amen. And uh, continue to reach Brookings. I can't wait if the Lord tarries is coming. One of these days I told him, well, I'm going to vacation with my family up there and go see that crazy horse monument. And uh, when we do, I mean, we'll see Mount Rushmore on the side, but we really want to go see the crazy horse monument. Uh, but when we do, I can't wait to link back up with the preacher and just to stay in touch and hear about all that God's doing here at the church. Amen. Uh, you, listen, God's done a lot, but he's not finished yet. Amen. Don't you want to con continue to see the church grow and move forward and honor God in that way? So I'm glad to be able to meet Brother Tim and his family and Tim Jr. especially. Man, boys are my business. That's right. <laughs> and so I'm excited. I'll, I'll be uh, contacting back and just seeing how the next couple of nights go. Uh, I went back and forth on two messages for tonight to finish things up. And I think the Lord would have us go to Genesis 45. Genesis 45. We'll read verses 16 through 21 there. Once you find your place in Genesis 45... I want you to put a karate chop right there and then go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 31 through 33. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 
through 33. We're going to grab a principle from the New Testament, and then we're going to go to the Old Testament, and we're going to put some flesh on it, amen, where that principle is lived out and it's illustrated for us uh, in a way that I think we'll be able to really relate. I had somebody tell me once, they said, you preach too much out of the Old Testament. So I started writing a lot of sermons out of Hebrews 11, you know. I figure if you start there, you can go almost anywhere in the Bible. Uh, but then for otherwise, I'll grab a little something from the New Testament and try to uh, put flesh on it in the Old. I don't do that with every message because at the end of the day, I'm kind of grateful we have an Old Testament, aren't you? Amen. I'm not ready to take a penknife and chop out two-thirds of my Bible. And you can learn a lot from these folks. Two people I look for when I study the Bible. Two people you ought to be looking for when you study the Bible. Number one, you always be looking for Jesus. Uh, you'll find Him on just about every page. Amen? And where you don't find Him once, you may find Him twice on the next page because the Bible is all about Jesus. And then the second person I look for in the Scriptures is I'm looking for me. I'm looking for people I can relate to and stories I can relate to that help guide me into being what God wants me to be. So look with me at Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at verses 31 and 32. I'll invite you to stand with me out of love and respect for the reading of God's holy word. We'll only stand for the Matthew reading. Amen. And I'll let you be seated for the reading in Genesis. I think we got our standing in last night, okay? Matthew chapter 6. Look at what Jesus says in verses 31 through 33. Here's what your Bible says. Therefore, take no thought. That means don't worry about it. Take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Would you give me the liberty to summarize what Jesus is saying to his followers right there? Don't worry about your stuff. Don't worry about your stuff. Now we're going to come over here and we're going to learn a little bit from Joseph and, and a circumstance in his life. And I think it will really put some flesh on this New Testament truth. Let's pray and then we'll get into Genesis 45. Heavenly Father, thanks for a chance to be able to be be here again today. Lord, what a blessing to be able to preach for you. And I come to you like I always do, asking for help because I know I can't preach on my own. Lord, you know me. And you know that I'm dust. You know my strengths and you know my weaknesses. And, and Father, I just pray for a little while here you touch my tongue and allow me to experience what it'd be like to have a glorified tongue, to say only the things that you'd have me say and to refrain from all those things that you wouldn't want me to say. Lord, these are your people, and they sure have been kind to me. But more importantly than pleasing your people this morning, God, I want to please you uh, this evening. I want to please you. And uh, that's our goal. We want to lift you up and make a big deal of what's important to you uh, this evening. Father, I pray that you help us take some inventory of our life that we'll go through and we'll look and we'll see those areas perhaps where uh, we could make some more space and where we could do more to get the gospel not only around the world and not only for supporting missionaries, but God, for also reaching Brookings, South Dakota and the communities right here locally. We love you and we love your word and we want to be 
spoken to tonight. Please allow your Holy Spirit to fill this place. Speak to every person, I pray, on an individual level. God, we need you. We need you more than anything. We need you more than breath in our lungs. We need you, Lord, more than these uh, bodies that we're clothed in. We need you more than health. We need you more than eyesight. We need you more than the ability to speak or to hear. God, you're everything tonight. Fill up this place and make yourself known among your people, I beg you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you can be seated. Genesis chapter 45 is where we'll be. Genesis chapter 45. Begin with me in verse 16. Are you familiar with the story? Now you know the rule. Just because you're familiar with it doesn't mean that God doesn't have something there for you. Don't you know what I mean when you're reading the Bible, how it's a living book? I remember reading the Bible when I was a kid. And there were things I picked up. But when I was a teenager, I read it again. And you know what? I, I saw some things that I didn't see before. And then when I got married, man, I began to understand some things about the bride of Christ and that love relationship there. When I had kids, then, of course, a whole new world of understanding opened up for the Scriptures. And I began to understand God's love and relationship for me. And with every stage of life that you go through, the Bible is there to be a constant companion, a teacher, and a guide. So wherever you are tonight, whatever your age, whatever your uh, 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 biblical knowledge, the Bible's a living book and there's something in it for you this evening. So let's look here at the story of Joseph. You remember what his brothers did to him? You remember he had those dreams and he said, one day I'm going to be a ruler over you. His brothers didn't like that, did they? So they took him and they cast him into a pit. Do you remember the story? They cast him into a pit. They wanted to kill him. Now, I've got two older brothers. There were plenty of times in our altercations when I spoke the words, I'm going to kill you. But I didn't mean it like Joseph's brothers meant it. They really did want to kill him. Reuben talks him into tossing him into a pit. Way to go, Reuben. Way to compromise. But they take him and they toss him in a pit. Some of their cousins come by and they said, let's sell him to these merchants. So they sold their brother Joseph into slavery. And uh, he goes and you remember, he works in Potiphar's house. He's lied about by Potiphar's wife. And he's tossed into a dungeon. You remember the butler and the baker? How he interpreted their dreams? One got their head lopped off and the other one was promoted back to a position of honor. You remember it? And you remember he forgot about Joseph. I think Joseph had a few more lessons to learn in the dungeon, amen? It wasn't time for him to move forward just yet. Then Pharaoh calls him up. He cleans up. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. And now Joseph is second only to Pharaoh, supreme ruler over the most powerful country and the most powerful empire in all the world. There's a famine in the land, do you remember? And when there's a famine in the land, whoever's got food, they're king. Joseph's got all the food. And those brethren that sold him off, now they come to him and they bow down to him in fulfillment of the prophecy of his dream. And they're asking Joseph for food. Remember, he put them through that time of testing. He's speaking to him in Egyptian through an interpreter. And finally, he just bursts out and he reveals his identity and he asks him, is my father yet alive? And that's the account that we're coming to, amen? So we're all on the same page. Now look at what the Bible says in verse number 16. The Bible says, And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye. Lade your beasts and go. Get you unto the land of Canaan. 
Look at this. And take your father and your households and come unto me and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye. Take you what, church? Wagons. Out of the land of Egypt for your, now notice, for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Look at verse 20. Also, here it is, regard not your stuff. Now that's interesting to me. Because he's given him some wagons, and if he doesn't want him to fill it up with stuff, what do you think Joseph wants him to fill those wagons up with? The answer's people. People. Look it on. It says, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. So he said, I'm giving you some wagons. And he said, the purpose of these wagons is not for you to load up your junk. The purpose of these wagons, I want you to fill them up with people, fill them up with your loved ones, and I want you to take them out of the land of famine, and I want you to bring them into the land of plenty. Are you catching this? Can I submit something to you tonight? Every single one of us, by God Almighty, and Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ, every one of us has been given a wagon of influence, a wagon of resources that God expects us to use in this life. And can I tell you, the wagon that God has given you, He didn't give you so you could fill it up with stuff. The life He's given you, the resources He's given you, the breath that He's given you is all for the purpose of getting people in the wagon. Getting people in the way. But look at what they did in chapter 46. Verse number 6. The Bible says, And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him. So imagine the scene with me for a minute, would you? They've been given wagons, and you know the beautiful passage. And when Jacob saw the wagon, his spirit revived inside of him. They come with these wagons, and his, and his sons tell him, Joseph's alive, and he sent these wagons, and it's time to go. Can you imagine what it was like as they began to march with those wagons, and they filled it up with their stuff? They're, they're, listen, they're hooking, they're putting the coats. They got the chickens in there. They've got their clothes and they've got all their junk piled in these wagons and they're going from the land of famine to a land of plenty. They're leaving a place where they would starve. They're leaving a land of death and they're going to a place where there's plenty and where they'll be cared for and they'll not have to worry about a thing. And Joseph said, when you come, don't worry about your stuff. I got plenty of stuff over here. So you leave it there. Now imagine as they're proceeding through the land of Canaan, what would it have been like? They're passing by people that are starving. They're passing by people that are going to have to stay in the land of famine. And I wonder how many of them stood back and said, what's going on with Jacob? What's going on with Israel? What's going on with his boys? He said, didn't you hear? Joseph made good. He's in charge in Egypt. He's in control of all the food. And they're going to go there and they're going to live in the palace and they're going to be taken care of. And how many of those people stood off on the side and said, Man, I wish there was some room for me. I wish I could get in that wagon. 
I wish I could go to a place and escape this famine and be cared for and go to a place where there's never a care in all the world. Oh, but listen to me. In that wagon, there were things that shouldn't have been there. And it was hindering the, uh, their ability to take more people. They sacrificed that for their stuff. And I wonder how many of us, our lives are so full, we're not empty enough. We're so full of things and we're so full. Our schedule is so full. I couldn't dare stop and witness to somebody. My finances are all wrapped up. I couldn't dare give more to missions. I couldn't dare give more to spread the gospel around the world. Can I tell you, brethren, the whole reason God has given you the things he's given you. You say, well, I don't have much. The truth remains the same. Well, I have a lot. Then the truth remains just the same. You have what you have for a singular purpose. It's to get as many men and women and boys and girls in the wagon from the land of famine to the land of plenty. That's what you exist for. What are you going to bring in your wagon? The title of our message tonight, we're going to keep it simple. What's in your wagon? What is in your wagon? I want to give you two simple truths. And by the way, if talking about money and stuff bothers you, that attitude straight from the devil. You know how much sleep I lose preaching and talking about money? About that much. Because it's nothing. It doesn't even matter. But we become so attached and we fall in love with these things. We spend so much energy packing our wagon with stuff that in eternity won't matter. Can I tell you, God's not going to be impressed with your truck. And God's not going to be impressed with your house. Now he's preaching against having trucks and houses. I suppose we should walk around and be homeless. I'm not saying it, brother, but I'm telling you this. Anything that you place in higher priority than the souls of men and women and boys and girls, it's a sin. Spiritual people are givers. You want to know why? Because God's a giver. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. For God so loved the world that he... God's a giver. And so if preaching about giving bothers you, then you're not right with God. Doesn't bother me one bit. You know, isn't it amazing? We'll get offended about talking about giving and about sacrificing and about putting something into the work of God. And you start preaching about that in church and everybody will puff up. I was just that preacher. He's just after my money. He wouldn't have to be if you'd give it. You, listen, you don't get offended at Walmart. You're walking through there and they're checking all your groceries, checking all your stuff. And guess what they're going to want to talk about at the end of that little transaction? Money. When was the last time you chewed out the cashier and said, How, you know, I have been in this community for decades. I have shopped here for years. And every time I come in here, you never ask how I'm doing. I had surgery. The kids have been sick. And every time I come in here, all you want is my credit card, my cash, and you don't even care about me. No, no, no. You don't mind going and buying junk that one day will be sitting in a shop somewhere or in a secondhand store or in a junkyard. You don't mind talking about money then. But when it comes to putting our resources into something that matters, all of a sudden we puff up and get upset. That's from the devil. God's a giver and his people ought to love and be givers. You say, you're just talking about money. No, I'm talking about everything. Your wagon's more than your money. 
Your wagon is your influence. Your wagon is your ability to, to reach out to others and to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Supporting missionaries is just one avenue to do that. You have a responsibility right here in Brookings to reach the people that God has put you around. Well, what? No, no, no. You thought you could just give to the church and that'd pay off your responsibility to tell people about Christ? Is you, did you think that's how this thing works? How much you put in there? To make yourself feel good about not witnessing to somebody else. What's the dollar amount, brother? What's the dollar amount, sister? Because whatever it is, you have just placed a value on an invaluable soul. You've just stated it. I'm just asking. It's a simple question. You can get upset with it or you can humble yourself tonight and begin to do some inventory. Why don't you get out of the driver's seat and walk around back and start looking at your wagon? Let's do some inventory. <coughs> What's there that shouldn't be there? What's there that's drawing your attention and energies away from the work of God? What's wrapping up your finances so that you can't do all that you would do for the work of God? I want to give you two points. Now, this is getting generous. I knew we had this awesome video coming from the missionary tonight, and so I went through and brought it down to two. Number one, I want to let you know, you got a singular opportunity. Once they showed up with those wagons, there was no going back. Whatever they came with, that's what they stayed with. You've only got one opportunity, folks, at this life. And whatever you bring, that's it. That's what the rich man found out in Luke 16. You see, he made his trip. He made his bed, and as he slept in it, he said, I'd like to take another trip. I've got some brethren that, that I don't want to come to this place. And you know what he found out from Abraham? You only get one opportunity to fill your wagon. There's no redoing it. I wonder how it was for Noah as those waters began to lift the ark from off the earth. I wonder if there were people close enough that they could rush to the door of that ark and begin to bang on it. Noah, let us in. Noah, let us in. And yet, as the water began to lift up that ark, do you know what Noah found out? Once God closes the door, once time is up, there's no opening it again. There's no do-overs. There's no second chances. you got one life to do for God, what He's put you here to do. Don't waste it filling that up with junk. Don't, hey, listen to me. Don't waste it on sports. Don't waste it on trying to be somebody in the eyes of this world. Man, put your energies and your efforts and your resources towards God. You get one opportunity. There's no going back. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I wonder how many will stand there at the great white throne judgment. And we'll watch. I believe we'll be spectators in that day. And we'll watch as countless souls are dumped off into the lake of fire. And I wonder if in that day we'll have done all that we could. Or if we'll have a desire in our hearts and say, God... I wish I could take another trip with my wagon. What's in your wagon tonight? What's more important than reaching people? Name it. Name it. I'll give my life to it. What's more important than see? Say, I, I know. I know everybody likes the spirit. Well, <clears throat> the, the most important thing in the Christian life is not winning the lost. It's glorifying God. Pray tell. How do you glorify God? Pray tell. What's all the holy living for? but to be a testimony to the lost. But to take the word of God, 
Well, 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 you got to study the Word of God to glorify God so that you can give it to somebody else. All the glorifying of God is done through our efforts to be a light and to be salt in a lost and a dying world. It's all about getting men and women and boys and girls in the wagon. It's what He's giving you this life for. There's a singular opportunity. And I want you to know there's a sure judgment that awaits the Christian. The Bible says in Romans 14, 12, and this is speaking to Christians now. Understand the context of this passage. He said, so then every one of us, us Christians, shall give account of himself to God. You're going to have to stand in front of God with what you bring. Can you imagine what it was like for Joseph? Don't you think he was embarrassed a little bit? He gave his family these wagons, and he said, go load everybody up that you can find. Bring them here, and the good of the land of this kingdom is all yours. And here comes Grandpa Israel. Now, I don't know what you're thinking, but when I visualize this, I'm thinking like a Bible Times Beverly Hillbilly scene, you know? Grandpa Israel's up there on the rocking chair piled high on top of the wagon and they've got their stuff and the goat and the chicken and the clothes and everything else. And then I can just imagine Joseph standing there in pomp and in all the ceremonial glory of the position that he held. And here's Pharaoh and here comes the family rolling in. And I wonder what it was like for Joseph as his eyes bulged and as he watched in horror as he said, you've got to be kidding. What are they doing? They brought the goat. They put him on the rocking chair. What are they doing? Bringing all this stuff? We don't need that here. Didn't they trust me? Didn't they believe that I'd take care of them? And I wonder if he just put his head down and shook it like this and said, Oh, I can't believe they had such little faith in me. And I wonder if we'll not put Jesus through a similar, similar scenario. As we stroll into the portals of glory, pulling along a wagon filled with things that don't matter. That don't matter. And we stand in front of God and he says, what did you bring for my honor, for my glory? What did you do with what I gave you? And we say, Lord, you don't understand. I had a successful business. You don't understand. I made a lot of money. Don't you be shocked to find the Lord will look over that wagon and all those things you had it loaded with won't even be there. Do you know me and Bill Gates are leaving the same thing behind when we die? All of it. Uh-huh. Naked came I into this world and naked I'm going to return back to the dirt. You can't take it. Hey, the only thing I'm taking with me are the souls of men and women and boys and girls. I just wonder tonight, what is it in your wagon keeping you from surrendering to the work of God? What in your wagon is keeping you from witnessing to that co-worker? What in your wagon is distracting you from getting involved in the evangelism efforts of this church? What in your wagon? What is it you're paying for that you can't just drop off and give to God? Hey, can I tell you? You say, I just don't, I'm on a fixed income. Unfix it, brother. Hey, toss out the television. Toss out whatever you got to. Unfix it. God is, the, listen, the Lord's coming back. We're going to stand in front of him and we've only got one shot at this. There's a sure judgment. We'll stand in front of him with what we bring. 
Folks, every program of the local church is built around getting people in the wagon. Missions, soul winning. What about the buildings? To bring in more people. Uh, running these buses, what's it for? To bring in more people. Children's ministry, what's it for? To bring in more people. That's why you exist. You don't exist to, uh, listen, to lock the doors and be our four and no more. God wants to grow this place. And God wants you to reach out and win more than you've ever won for Christ. It's all that will matter in that day. Tell me, name me the thing. What is it that's better than getting people in the wagon, huh? What is it you do every day that's better than that? I'm here to tell you there's nothing better than getting people in the wagon. Who are you praying for to get saved? Is it a father? Is it a mother? How many of you got lost children in here? How many have lost friends, coworkers, people on your heart that you pray for? Say, God, would you save them? Have you never stopped to think that this brother's got a list? That he's going to mothers? That he's going to fathers? That he's going to sisters and brothers and friends and co-workers of somebody else? Who, hey, listen, those people on their heart are just as important as the people that you know and that are on your heart. Have you stopped for a minute? What value would you place on your son or daughter? What value would you place on knowing that your mom and dad were going to heaven? What value? Listen, there's nothing better than getting people in the wagon. I'm telling you, folks, I get out there on the reservation and we're just looking for some people to toss in the wagon. I remember the first lady we ever won to Christ in Naslini. Uh, her name was Susie. She was blind. I, I used to love bringing Susie to church because even when we had nobody show up, I'd tell my wife, I'd say, make a lot of noise. She won't know she's the only one in here. Amen. She'll think we've got a big crowd. I led Susie to Christ. She got a burden. She got a burden for her daughter. Her daughter's name is Karen. Karen was about two tons. I mean, just a big fluffy gal, mean as a rattlesnake. She wore that goth-styled makeup, piercings all over the place. Looks like somebody just went to town with a stapler all over her face. And uh, when I'd go to visit her mother at the house, and, and she would always, she'd, be, she'd open the door, she'd see me, and she'd say, Oh, it's you. And she'd stomp off like a wild buffalo into the back room. And she'd crank on that heavy metal music. And she'd leave it on the whole time while I was there just to antagonize. Boy, she hated me. Miss Susie kept praying for her, asking prayer requests every single week. And I remember one Sunday I picked her up and Miss Susie goes, You know, Pastor, I think Karen's real close to getting saved. I said, You think so, Miss Susie? And right about that time I looked back at the window of the house and there's Karen scowling at me. I said, well, amen, sister. Just keep having faith and praying. <laughs> Until one Sunday's Christmas service, Karen came outside and she didn't have any of that metal in her face. And all of the pale makeup was gone. And she was dressed nicely in church garb. She got in the car. I said, hi, Karen. She said, oh, that Sunday and Karen walked down the aisle and accepted Christ as her Savior. <laughs> She's a Sunday school teacher and she goes soul winning every single week with the church. And you know what I say to that? Hey! There's
There's nothing better than getting people in the wagon. Hey, I tell you about old Jones Juanica. Man, I'm telling you, Brother Jones and his wife, when they started coming to church, they were one of the original families that came and began to serve with us there in Nazlini. They started coming to church. Brother Jones would never speak to me. Just a quiet Navajo fellow. I remember one Sunday I was walking out, and he, and he goes, Bye, Pastor. I said, Wow, he spoke to me. He'd been there two months, never said a word to me. I walked up the hill to the house. I said, love. I said, you'll never guess who talked to me today. She said, who? I said, Jones Juanica. She said, what did he say? I said, he said, bye, Pastor. Pretty big deal. His wife came to me and she said, preacher, I need you to start praying for Jones. I said, well, I am praying for him. She said, he's got to get saved. We can't keep living like this. She said, when he was eight years old, he touched some ruins. And in Navajo tradition, you don't touch things pertaining to the dead. She said, he touched that. And his family had a ceremony for him when he was eight. And they scolded him. And now, ever since then, everything bad that happens in his life, they always point back. And they say, it's because you broke our traditions. He lived under the oppressive cloud of the traditions of men when he became an alcoholic and when he became a drug addict and when he uh, wrecked his first truck and when he lost his good job, every time his family would say, it's because you're a bad Navajo. It's because you broke our traditions. She said, Pastor, Jones doesn't sleep at night. He said, he's scaring me in cadence. Said he'll he'll lay on the bed. And she said he'll sweat and leave an imprint of his body. He'll flop around. He jumps up in the middle of the night, grabbing his throat and gasping. And he says they're choking me. They're choking me. Said Pastor, he doesn't sleep but about two hours. And sometimes he hits us. And sometimes he screams. He doesn't know what he's doing. He says there's these little blue people, these Anasazis that are climbing on him, and they're choking the life out of him. Until a Sunday night rolled around. And we were preaching on the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And Brother Jones Juanica walked down the aisle and he said, he said, I just want peace, Pastor. I just want to be able to sleep. And so he got down on his knees. He accepted Christ as his Savior that Sunday night. They came to church Wednesday beaming. And Miss Marlena walks up to me and she said, Pastor, he slept till three in the afternoon on Monday. We couldn't get him out of bed. He walked over. He said, Pastor, if I'd have known getting saved was this good, I'd have gotten in on it a long time ago. I'm just, hey, you say, what is that? Hey, there's nothing better than getting people in the wagon. I'd tell you about Brother Ryan Nash. He's at church planners this year. I remember, oh man, listen, he was one of those guys. He had a unique talent to make you not like him in 10 seconds or less. Just a mean drunk. Mean. I mean, listen, he'd take the money that was meant for the baby's diapers. He'd go and spend his checks. He's abusive in every way you can think of to his family. And I'm telling you, one night uh, 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 after they were thrown out, they had to move back to the reservation because they had lost their apartment. They lost everything they owned. He began to have withdrawals. He was trying to quit the alcohol on his own. And he began hearing these voices. He said, Brother Joel, it was scariest whenever it would get quiet because they'd sneak up on me and they'd yell in my ears. He said, it all came to a head. Listen, we drove to a meeting one night going 75 miles an hour. And he looks over at one of the preachers in the car and he says, the devil's telling me not to listen to you. He said, where is the devil? He says, he's right there. He said, well, tell him to go back to hell where he came from. And he said, I can't. He said, we got to turn around. I got to go back home. What are you talking about? We're headed to a meeting. He says, no, no, no. He says, they're going to hurt Mariah. 
said they're going to hurt my wife. We got to go back. We've got to go back. Hold on, hold on. All right, we'll go back. We'll check on him. It all came to a head one night. He hadn't slept in 48 hours. The, the voices in his ears just wouldn't quit ringing. And so he went uh, and he grabbed a fire extinguisher and he began to spray it around the house everywhere that he'd hear those voices. And he'd scream and he was spraying his wife and spraying his daughter. And when he ran out of the solution, he went and he got a pistol and he got his wife and his daughter standing in front of him. He said, get down on your knees. I'm not going to let them get you, baby. I'm not going to let them have you. We're going to end it right here. And his wife had gotten saved as an eight-year-old girl in a vacation in Bible school our family did and she got unequally yoked together with this unbeliever. She got down on her knees and she said, Ryan, please, please can I just open the Bible and show you what Pastor said about how you can know for sure when you die you're going to heaven. He said, I'll let you show me, but if it doesn't change something, then I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill her and then I'm going to kill myself. She went through the Romans road and by the end of that thing he had dropped that pistol, got down on his knees and accepted Christ as his savior called up the pastor at three in the morning said I got saved and the preacher goes uh huh great let's talk about it in the morning I remember the first time I met him just a few months after he'd gotten saved I walked in and dad says hey we've got this guy just got saved in the church we want him to be the youth pastor here comes brother Ryan Ness wearing a big oversized white t-shirt holes in his jeans and 1980s supersized tongue tennis shoes hair looked like cows had been grazing on it for a week I walked in and I said hey buddy are you a visitor today he says no my name's Ryan and you're going to train me to be the youth pastor and as I was shaking his hand I was thinking dear God you've got to be kidding me Brother Ryan has planted two churches among his people on the reservation today. You saw his picture in my presentation with those pretty little girls. God called him to preach. God's using him to reach folks that I could never reach. You say, Brother Joel, what is that? You want to know what that is? That's getting people in the wagon. What's better than getting people in the wagon? Hey, keep your booze. Keep your smokes. Keep your money. Keep man's accolades. Keep your pats on the back. I'm looking to get people in the wagon. How about you, church? What is it? What's it what is it holding you back? God calling some of you fellas to preach. Give your life to giving people in the wagon. What's holding you back? What's in your wagon? Hudson, do you have any more space? Is there any more room for some Muslims in New York in your wagon? Do you have any room for some Navajos in your wagon? Do you have any room for some people here in Brookings in your wagon? I'm just asking you, what are you going to stand in front of God with? What are you going to face Him with? What you've accomplished in your life? I'm just telling you, church, there's nothing better than getting people in the wagon. Let's stand together with heads bowed, eyes closed. What's in your wagon?